Welcome to the Spiritual and Empowerment Living with Tia podcast, a sacred place and resource for spiritually centered women who want to go from the mundane to the magical life for overcoming fear and doubt, reconnecting with the goddess, understanding messages from spirit, and uncovering your spiritual gifts so you can finally live the life you deserve. Hello, spiritual trailblazers, and you are in for a treat because I have an amazing guest who I cannot wait to introduce you to. So today's episode, Racial Injustices on Mental Health, Understanding and Working Through Trauma, Anxiety, and PTSD with Licensed Clinical Social Worker, America Allen. America Allen, a North Carolina-based licensed clinical social worker, therapist, who helps Black women prioritize themselves on their healing journeys so that they are able to have healthier relationships with themselves, which improves their relationship with others. As a trauma and anxiety specialist therapist, she works from a trauma-informed lens and a relational perspective. America has committed her work even prior to therapy to helping Black folk decolonize their minds, unlearn and redefine beliefs about themselves so that we are able to heal collectively. America's clients often describe her as relatable, authentic, and real. She prides herself in being authentic and showing up as her whole self in sessions, which then allows her clients to do the same fostering results. You can learn more about her at sunyouhealing.com. America, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am thrilled to have you here. This has been one of many topics that I've been wanting to dive deeper into. And that's what I tell people about this podcast, that we dive deeper. We, we look into many aspects and not afraid to go there. So uh, my initial question with you is, uh, what are you seeing currently in, in your business? Because I know as your bio states, you work with a lot of trauma and, and uh, you know, other things related to that. So is, is anything changing with the current events that you're seeing? Absolutely. I'm definitely seeing an increase in anxiety symptoms um, and just really understanding that collectively we are all experiencing a level of trauma. Um, and so, especially, like you said, I'm working with majority Black women, um, and so really understanding how that collective trauma um, is starting to come up in a way that I don't think any of us have been prepared for, um, because we are currently in the midst of two pandemics, mm-hmm. right? So really meeting um, those individuals where they are and helping them see um, and name what they're experiencing. Mm, that is so powerful. And I love that you said meeting individuals where they are. Mm-hmm. And what I think is also happening now is, especially from the Black perspective, that people who kind of thought about it or didn't think about it at all, they're now being awakened and saying, hey, look, this is what's really going on. Even if your Black friend or whomever may not talk much about it or may not be directly affected by it, they know someone who is being affected. And I have to tell you, America, you know, I have been thoroughly exhausted lately. Um, you know, the pandemic hit, it was declared a pandemic on March, I think the 6th or the 9th. And, you know, not too much, not too long after that, we see the the killing of, God, George Floyd, and then the video of Elijah McClain gets released, Breonna Teller, you know, all these things are just 
piling up one on the, on the other, not to mention the protesters being pepper bombed. So when, when people are coming to you, what are some of the first things you a- address with them? I think it just depends on usually what the presenting issue is, right? Because because I'm serving Black women, we have to understand that there is so much stigma associated with receiving mental health treatment in the first place. Um, and so understanding that a lot of times we have been told that we are angry or we always have an attitude. And so those two things in particular indicate to me a level of anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Or even um, an experience of depression. And so what I'm finding is, as we are renaming, right, because language is so powerful. Mm-hmm. So as we're renaming the experience and I'm learning more, um, I'm learning a lot more about their childhood and learning that they have, for not all, but, um, you know, there has been some level of trauma, whether as a child or in early adulthood. And so there's that that hasn't been dealt with or unpacked. And so you have that coupled with um, perfectionism. So the desire to um, overachieve and continue to do and strive to be their best selves, which then is going to increase those feelings of anxiety. So you have that part already coming into this pandemic or both of these pandemics that we're currently seeing. Yeah. And, you know, it's so, that's what I'm looking for, maybe insidious or just subliminal where it's, it's, it's so almost normal when you start off as, as a child and, and, and you had me thinking about this too, is don't be angry because you, you know, you're the angry black woman. It's like, but wait a minute, I want to express my opinion. And that's not me being angry. That's me saying, I don't agree with that. That's me saying no. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's just, it's almost been the, the norm. Don't, don't get too angry, you know, act like this. You gotta, you gotta act twice as better. You know, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. It starts from childhood. And because of that, we're taught that we essentially can't be our full human self, right? We're taught that there are certain emotions that we have to push down or we have to monitor in a way that makes other people comfortable. And I would argue that just being in that existence of not being able to fully feel your emotions creates that anxiety that I feel like a lot of us are experiencing. That makes so much sense. Yeah, you can't even express the the little... I disagree or no, or whatever the case is, of course, yeah, little things become big issues, right? Absolutely. That's that's something that's wow. So <clears throat> are you providing uh, any sort of, because I, I know you host sessions. So are you providing um, tips for them? Like don't watch too much TV or I know you said also words matter. And I know when, when we watch certain things, words, certain words get put into play and it's like, mm, that's not exactly what it means. So uh, how are you helping people with the, 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 the wording aspect? So in terms of wording, I think it's really important. I always tell clients in our first session, um, if I ever call you in or challenge you on the use of a certain word, understanding why. Because I fully recognize that mm-hmm. any word that comes after I am um, or anytime we identify with um, a certain word, it really shapes our experiences and how we show up in the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm really mindful to make sure that I'm catching certain words like for instance the word minority that is not a word um, that I feel like we should be using because um, when we think about the word minority what does that mean to be a minority right and so that's almost continuing to minimize our experiences minimize who we are so um, words like minority 
Um, even when women are telling me, well, you know, I always have an attitude. Well, do you? Like, do you really right. always have an attitude? Um, right. Or is there, tell me what you're feeling in your body. What do you notice? And so mm-hmm. those things help us create a language together because I'm really careful not to tell them what to say. Um, but we create that language together of refra- reframing what their experiences are. Um, and what I found is, and simply reframing the language and reframing their experience, you can see like a look of relief, right? And you can see mm-hmm. that, okay, I'm not a bad person. I'm not um, this angry Black woman, right? Because I would argue for most Black women, that is the, the biggest fear. It's like, oh, I don't want to be angry or be labeled angry. And so you can see the sense of relief, like, okay, now I understand what my experience has been. Now I can move forward and do the work that I need to do. Yeah, so should people maybe have a, a book with them and write down how, how they uh, describe themselves or their thoughts of the day and then reevaluate that and think, man, maybe I shouldn't use, I always have an attitude today or something like that. How, how, how can they, yeah. Know. Absolutely. I have my clients um, have, do mood and thought logs um, mm-hmm. weekly. I found that to be particularly important because we spend more time with ourselves, of course, than we do anybody else. Right. Um, and so really being mindful and intentional about what that self-talk is. And so what we do is identify what that is and then teaching them how to reframe that when it comes up and recognizing the importance of stopping those negative thoughts or stopping those labels as they come up. And I would argue, you know, we all have some level of negative self-talk. It's really just about being intentional and taking the time to pause, to reframe it and name it for what it really is. Right. So what are some of the things that you're constantly debunking? Um, So because I work again, primarily with women who um, are high achieving career women Mm -hmm. and mothers, um, there's always this understanding that they have to be martyrs for their children Mm. Um, and how taking care of themselves, prioritizing themselves is selfish. Um, That is one of the biggest things. And so a lot of the work that I do with them, in addition to, of course, managing anxiety and managing their experiences of trauma, a lot of the work is, okay, how can we set better boundaries? How can Mm. we make time throughout the day, throughout the week, so that you are able to create this little carving of space for just yourself. What does that look like? Um, Because I would argue that, you know, there's that old cliche saying, uh, you can't pour from an empty cup. And even though I think when we hear that, it's like, oh, well, duh. But, (laughs) But like, there has to be more, right? So really understanding how to refill and recharge because it is impossible for women to continue to be the martyr and continue to prioritize the needs of their partner and their children work all of those things above the needs of their own and Mm. still expect to feel good right Mm. I think there's so much emphasis especially in our community of what does it look like right so making sure that you look a certain way act a certain way so that you're showing that you've achieved a certain status and it might look good, but like, does it feel good? Right. So that's a lot of the conversations that we have. How can we implement things so that you feel good? 
That makes so much sense. I especially love, but does it feel good? It, it's sort of like, uh, you know, yeah, it looks good on paper, but in reality, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was talking to uh, one of my friends a while ago, and uh, she was just admiring my nails. I said, yeah, that, that's just part of my me time. And she goes, oh, well, yeah, you don't have any kids. I said, but there's seven days in a week. I was like, if you like getting your nails done, you should carve out you know, I was like, you don't want to get, because she likes the, the natural nails, I get the acrylics. I'm like, that wouldn't take you long at all. You would probably be out in about 30 minutes. Right. And, you know, for, for her, that was just like, oh, I, I know, I got to take my kid to this practice and that. I'm just thinking, lady, so, so, slow down. <laughs> just for a minute, imagine a world where you can get your nails done and your kids would be okay. <laughs> right. And I think too, and you made a great point there, there's a lot of assumption that single women or women without children, um, self-care comes naturally. And it doesn't necessarily. Um, I think that we have to really understand that just because an individual doesn't have children doesn't mean that they don't sometimes or have in the past struggled with what self-care looks like for them. And that's an important conversation. And that is so true. I had to tell you, America, because self-care is something that I picked up maybe the last five-ish years and uh, because I was someone who barely looked in the mirror I talked about this in my first book I barely looked in the mirror I wore oversized sweaters it just wasn't a concern for me and it wasn't a thing you know self-care just wasn't a thing you just you know you look presentable you be clean you know and then you're going about your life uh, and then you know when I started diving into my spirituality I learned wait a minute you know this is something that is real and and i actually started getting my nails done my aunt bonnie treated me to get my nails done for my senior prom so i mean like 12th grade okay mm -hmm. here i go to college and i thought oh this looks pretty nice and and you know so yeah you know just like you said just because a woman doesn't have a child doesn't mean that self-care was a natural thing for them it's not and now i'm growing and dedicating more to self-care and when i had my nieces over <clears throat> especially before the pandemic i had them over all the time I would bring them to the nail salon and they want to get their nails painted and you know, all this right. so, you know, you can incorporate your children, you know, into whatever self-care you're doing. I think that is so important. And that's what I stress with um, the mothers that I work with is you taking care of yourself and your kids having an opportunity to see that. How beautiful is that? Mm -hmm. Right. Because they are learning what self-love, what self-respect looks like through seeing how you care and take care of yourself. Oh yeah, and, and it's so funny, <laughs> another quick story. So uh, I had both my nieces over and one was upstairs with me and she was sitting on the floor playing with her toys. And I said, okay, baby, I gotta write real quick. And so I'd like to tell them also what I'm doing so they know like, oh no, she's not ignoring me or mm -hmm. ran off somewhere. I said, I'll be right back, I'm just gonna write. She paused and looks around, she goes, where's your coffee? And <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just part of the, the part of the good norm that she just knows that when Tia's writing Auntie Tia's writing the coffee's there she has her her ritual going on so when she does her thing she might have water juice you know whatever it is it's a good thing for her to see yeah that that's so awesome that you said that <clears throat> So uh, as a segue to that, um, I know you also deal with generational trauma. And that was one thing that I thought was really interesting 
to talk about because <clears throat> as I was saying, you know, earlier in the beginning of this uh, episode, there's just so much going on. You know, there's a pandemic of COVID-19, there's the racial injustice that we're dealing with. So I was curious that the, for your you know, opinion, your subject, um, <clears throat> your subject uh, um, information about this, is, how, how do you think this will play on into the generations <clears throat> going forward? So that is a great question. I think in terms of intergenerational trauma, what we know about it is it's essentially when trauma is untreated and the stress related to it is then it is then passed down to generations. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely see how this could continue to pass down to the next generation. But I think what's different in this space and what I've seen is while there's still stigma associated with therapy, with unpacking your experiences, there's definitely been a shift, right? And so I think more of us are collectively really unpacking the experiences that we've had through childhood up until now and really um, coming to terms with the things that we've experienced and understanding what is required in order to heal our whole self so that we do not pass that down to the next generation. Yes, heal our whole self. Yes. <clears throat> I think sometimes people heal one aspect and not saying this is bad, but it's one of those things that, whew, they require a lot of, you know, looking down that rabbit hole and uncovering something that they want to uncover. I feel like sometimes people heal from one thing and then the other things are just like, okay, yeah, I'll get to it. Because <laughs> it was just such a rocky journey. <laughs> you know, it, it is a rocky journey. I think um, because we have this expectation that we have to have it all together all the time, mm. um, there's this fear related to really being in a space to just sit with your thoughts sit mm. experiences really feel your feelings and I always I always make it a point when I am working with individuals in the first phone consultation and even the intake assessment to share with them this process is difficult and I would argue that it's not something that there's an end date for um, a lot of times we want to know like okay fix me how long will it take um, and it's, and I understand that because of the society that we live in, there's this understanding that you check certain things off a list, you're done, you graduate from it, you move on to the next thing. And I really, as I've done this work, both on and with myself and with my clients, what I have come to realize is I don't think healing is a destination. Um, I think that it is a journey, right? And so as we continue to learn more about ourselves as we continue to decolonize our minds and reprogram, there's always going to be new things coming our way. Mm -hmm. And so how do we use the skills that we have cultivated to heal that part of ourselves and continue to move forward? Yes, that is, <clears throat> yeah, very profound. Yeah, it's definitely not an, an easy journey. And I really liked uh, the point of it's, it's not a it's not a destination there, there's no end date and it's so true because I think um some people when they heal and I, I use myself as an example when I I don't say it got over but when I was able to understand and deal with the fact that my grandparents passed it was like okay I arrived at this point but there are always triggers and I think uh people 
<clears throat> need to remember that you will be triggered. You know, whether you hear a song, their birthday comes up or whatever your, your triggers are for whatever trauma you experience. And yeah, I think that's a very good point to remind people is that, or let them know for those who don't know, is that there's no end date with this. Oh. And, and being okay with the fact that those trauma reminders will come up. Um, and so I think the healing is how have I progressed and how I respond to those trauma reminders. Mm. Um, and I think that is when you know, okay, last time I experienced this, it looked this way. And now, you know, I was able to pause. I was able to really um, reflect on what I was experiencing in that moment. And then I was able to self-soothe. And that's different than what I've done before. I would, I'd argue that really being able to acknowledge the progress, that's the word. Not, okay, I'm done. Right. Right. Yeah, that's easy to forget the, the progress because sometimes we're just so focused on, okay, is it done? Did I did it? All right. Yeah. 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 And now it's the, yeah, exactly. And now it's the progress, you know, it's just, as you were saying earlier, sometimes we think we have to have it all and everything that comes with that. But you know what? If you have something and you got yourself together, wherever you're at, wherever point you're at now, acknowledge that. And if you move a little bit forward, acknowledge that. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah, that's so important. So <clears throat> what's a question or questions you wish more people would ask you? So I think in terms of questions that I wish more people would ask me, um, I'm not necessarily sure that there are any that come to mind. And I say that because I think I would like to think, and it's been shared with me, that because of the work that is done in terms of building rapport, having very authentic conversations. I think that people ask me the things that are on their minds. And I think that because of that shows me how important it is to be able to have a therapist who looks like you. Um, because, and I was having this conversation the other day um, with another clinician of, you know, having clients who have previously worked with non-black therapists um, and non and these clients sharing that while their therapist was nice and super helpful they found themselves sometimes struggling and I think that that is why having a black therapist who understands because you know there's varying label layers of mm -hmm. that too but having a black therapist who has similar experiences in terms of their intersectionality um, and so being in that space with somebody who you see be raw and authentic, I think fosters an opportunity for the client to do the same thing. And I would argue that is why the therapy, the work together is so instrumental because they are able to be who they truly are, ask those questions that they want to ask without fear of being judged. Um, because I think that a lot of times in this space, keeping in mind the stigma that is associated with Black 
folks going to therapy in the first place. And then because this is a non-Black space for the most part, and that's starting to shift as well. But in terms of, um, I think there was just a study done that said in terms of psychologists, only 4% are Black. And so really understanding how that impacts clients and when they show up. So there's this fear that the person that you're sharing your deepest, darkest thoughts and secrets with is not seeing you for who you are. And I think when that is alleviated, it makes it a whole lot easier for people to share and grow. Yes, representation matters. And that's what I'm seeing a lot too with, um, this is what I've been reading overall on multiple platforms is that a lot of, um, especially white women, because that's, I work with a lot of women, so I tend to see more from women than I do from men, mm-hmm. is that they're realizing systemic racism, they're realizing mental health in the Black community, and they're, they're realizing all these things that they felt were either gone or not as serious, whatever the case may be. So I can't imagine being a Black woman want to go to a therapist. Like, you know what? A therapist is a therapist. Their credentials look good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go in there and talk to them. And then they don't understand why you're not at a certain place in your life. And they're telling you, well, you know, you could do this, you could do that. But then it's like cough, red lighting, cough. This is why <laughs> one of the reasons I'm not, you know, things like that. So <clears throat> because they're just not aware. And uh, when you're part of a certain community, you're just more hypersensitive to certain things. So that's a great point. And, and I am so for representation and, and going to, you know, people who look like you because there is value in that. And some people say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter. And I tell people, it's just like, remember when you was a little girl and you saw name that superhero or name that powerful leading lady, you thought she was the greatest ever, right? Mm-hmm. All right, well, imagine someone in a wheelchair. They wanted, they would like to see some people, you know, in a wheelchair do great things. And we have Special Olympics. We have, I saw a tournament, a billiard tournament with uh, people in a wheelchair doing great things. Representation matters. So, you know, it's, it's okay to do that. I'm glad that you said that. So important. Very and so it's going back to the, the, the generational trauma for a minute. Uh, you, you brought back a memory. I remember when I was in high school and 9-11 happened, a terrorist attacks. And fortunately for me, so my high school is located in Center City and I live in South Philadelphia, like not too far from the stadium. So it's a, it's a long walk. It's a long straight walk. And, I, and, and so I'm walking home and I'm just thinking, man, what the heck is going on here? Because no one really knew at the time. So I, I finally make it home and I tell my grandmother, I said, yeah, Father Mike got on the PA and he said the Twin Towers were attacked. Like, I don't understand. She looked, she didn't even look at me. She was, and she uh, played a lot of, so she had her number books out. She goes, this is just like Kennedy. And I thought, wow, mm-hmm. like the trauma that she saw when Kennedy got assassinated you know, and, and she had three kids, she, she had to get a divorce, all these things. She was just holding her family together. And I can't even imagine what she felt when she saw her president get assassinated. And now here we are, a terrorist attack. And she said, this is just like Kennedy. So uh, when people come to you for to help with trauma, do they, um, like, how, how did they, or, or what are some of the tips you give them to help them with the children? Because I know we talked about, like, how they can stop it with themselves, so, you know, it won't pass on to their children, but how, how are they to, like, involve the children in, in certain aspects? 
So most of the women that I have are actually newer moms. So that's interesting too. Um, but for the ones I have that have a little, who have children who are a little bit older, um, I always encourage them to create and hold space for your child to talk. I think that we don't understand how healing it is to just be able to share how you're feeling and what you've experienced. Um, and so even being curious to ask their child, what do they know about this event? How does that make them feel? And then simply asking your child or their child, what is it that you need from me? How can I make you feel safe and supported right now? Um, I think that is huge. And what I've heard from the couple that I do have that have older children is that has really allowed them to foster better communication because their children feel more comfortable coming to them because they know that they can. Wow. What do you need from me? Mm -hmm. Wow. I wonder if more people heard that, how the world would be different. Mm -hmm. Wow. What do you need from me? Whew, that's powerful. Man, I, I had to take a deep breath on that one. <laughs> and I think the, the beautiful thing about asking that question, what do you need from me? Oddly enough, alleviate some of the stress because mothers, caregivers have this thought that they have to have it all figured out. Like I have to know how to fix it. And because I don't know how to fix it, I can't talk about it. Um, and if we just take a minute to ask children, partners, friends, like, okay, in this moment, what do you need from me? It takes the pressure off of you to figure it out um, so that you can just be alongside them for whatever it is that they need. Right. Because what if you're trying to fix it? Something that's not even on their radar, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you've been so hard, you know, trying to fix this. Like, mom, I wasn't even thinking about that, but that's nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh man, that's that's something. So I, I also want to touch. I want to go back to the decolonize their minds because I know we, we talked about attitude and and things like that. But I know it's it's so uh, multi layered, and I know we can't fit everything in this episode. But uh, I know because you, you spoke or in your bio talked about being authentic and and real, and we talked about how people can show up and do things like that. Does decolonizing their mind go into how they present themselves as far as hair and dress? Like, I always wondered about that because I know sometimes there's a battle between how we wear our hair and sometimes we go, all right, fine, whatever, we'll, we'll straighten it. But is it is it a, a huge thing where people just like, I really feel suffocating, like I'm suffocating because I can't even wear my hair a certain way or my clothes a certain way? All the time. I think what a lot of us don't fully understand is um, that this mindset, this Western mindset that we have is like the source of domination, right? And so what that really is, is white supremacy is the American culture. It's embedded in the DNA. And so every system that we operate in upholds this understanding of what it means to be professional, what it means to be desired, um, what it means to be successful. And so I think a lot, of, a lot of the time what I find is because of what these expectations are, women are really fighting to achieve a certain level of status, a certain level of appreciation, but not from their peers, right? So there's always the desire to get to a certain point to prove yourself. 
Um, and so a lot of the conversation is around like, what does it mean to be professional? Um, understanding that just because your hair isn't bone straight doesn't mean that you're not professional because professional um, has very little to do, and I really dislike that word, but it has very little to do um, with how you look. It has all of to do with if you're able to get your job done. Like, mm -hmm. do you perform and do you perform well? Okay, so then that's what you should be expected to do. <laughs> right. Not to wear your hair or have yeah. to look a certain way. Um, and I think that goes back to the standards of beauty, right? So even understanding that um, there's not at one point in time for a lot of my clients, like they did not see people who looked like them um, on TV or didn't see people or didn't have baby dolls that looked like them. Mm -hmm. And so really being met with this pressure to look like what society has told us is beautiful. Um, and so that's really reframing the, both their expectations of themselves and understanding how they've been positioned to think. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of that work is redefining those expectations and those standards for yourself. So like, what is it that you want for you? What does that look like? How do you want to look on a daily basis? Do you want to have your hair bone straight or do you want to wear your fro? Or do you want to wear a lace front, right? Like what makes you feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. What makes you feel good? And so a lot of it is reworking what that means. Yes, my goodness. Yeah. And it's sad. Yeah. It's just so ingrained in our culture. You had me thinking about my Barbie dolls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember my mom bought me, uh, she bought me army dolls, a black, uh, black uh, Ken army doll and, and a black uh, uh, female Barbie doll. And like, yeah, like she had to go find that, you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just so crazy uh, how it's just a, a standard. You know, I even saw uh, a post, it was on Instagram, how um, a guy said he was crying because Band-Aid finally released a color that was not white. <laughs> it was brown, you yeah. know, like it matched his skin color. And, and another woman, her prosthetic was brown. She's mm -hmm. like, finally, you know, mm -hmm. just things like that. And yeah, when you speak up on it again, it's the, oh, well, that's the actors that they got for that commercial or that's, the, that's just how they produce no, because <clears throat> when I uh, discovered why, what was the company? Was it Kodak? I forget which uh, film company. The only reason why they had uh, like different color ranges is because when the furniture companies were trying to sell their furniture, the people couldn't tell if it was cherry wood, mahogany. So that's how they incorporated like darker, browner colors. Mm -hmm. It was just mm -hmm. so crazy. Like I, I forget the actual article, but I was reading it like for real. So it's just one of those things that people can easily dismiss but for you know black people brown people are like wait a minute like that's a real thing like <laughs> take a few steps back and check it out so yeah this is definitely a process and i think i would like to think this has an end date uh one of the topics came out well what do you think that racism will end in our generation our time span whatever and I'm just thinking, I hope. <laughs> but there's so much trauma going on that even if it was eradicated in the year 2020 and 2021, you have all these people that are just so, I don't even like to say wounded. They're just like hurt and they're trying to speak up. And there's still gonna be these pockets of places, of areas in the world where 
that's not going to be an, a, a, a space for them. So that's one of the things that just bothers me. And you also made a great point when you said that um, some people are like, oh, that's just how they casted the commercial or the show, or those are just the models in the magazine. And I think because systemic racism is in the DNA of American culture, that's what makes it hard for people to really understand and process because that's the norm, right? Mm -hmm. So the norm is that when you look in a magazine, a majority of the women in the magazine are non-Black. When you look at TV, a majority of the families that you see are non-Black. And I think because that has become the norm, it makes people really uncomfortable to have to sit with that and ask themselves, why is that? Right. Like you said, have conversations with yourself, <laughs> be in your own thoughts and really look at yourself because some people think that they're giving up something by admitting what's going on. You're not giving up anything. People are gaining <laughs> things here. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's very, I want to say frustrating and upsetting when I see a commercial I'm like, oh, wow, black people don't drink that coffee or black people don't buy that car. Really? You know, <laughs> it's like, right. and, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, that buildup in me that I got to remember to let go, you know, like, okay, Tia, you know what, make the change where you can, when, when you can, you know, because I can easily foster, I, I can easily harvest that energy, you know, and put it somewhere negatively. So that's one of the reasons why I'm saying it is that it's so easy for, you know, for, for me or anyone, you know, especially black people to be like, you know what, forget this company, screw that. Blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> make sure that you're channeling your energy in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, again, there, if we don't challenge it in, or if we don't channel it into the right direction and we press it down, push it down, then we're going to continue to see these symptoms of anxiety. We're going to continue to feel burnt out and overworked because we don't really have a way to channel it in a way that feels productive. And I think that's the hardest part with racism is there's this desire, um, especially um, for the Black folks that I work with, there's this desire to figure out what is my role to help the cause? What does that look like? And because they want to do things that they see as results driven and productive, um, it can be frustrating when they're not able to operate in those spaces. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and there are so many things that you can do, but yeah. And, and it makes you wonder, is this even worth it? Someone was saying on TV, please go out and vote. Or maybe it wasn't Beyonce's mom on Instagram. I forget where I saw this, but uh, someone was encouraging people to vote. And, and they were just saying, please don't think that your vote doesn't matter. You know, people think that their vote doesn't matter. Like you were saying, results driven. They think, well, it doesn't matter. So why should I show up? Why should I say anything? Why should I do anything? It's like, no, no, please please show up because it does matter. You may not see it right away, but trust me, it matters. You know, when we talk about voting, I think what's so interesting to me is I know for a fact that voting is powerful because if it wasn't, there wouldn't be voter suppression. Mm -hmm. So that in itself tells me that voting can be powerful because if the Black vote wasn't an important vote then why would it why would folks be working so hard to prevent black folks from voting right Right. or having extended wait times and long lines around the building and all of the other things that i've seen during the primary so i think that's really important to understand too right 
Exactly, which can lead to so much more, like you were saying, that, that misplaced, you know, direction. So final question, do you have any daily rituals that help you stay sane? <laughs> I do. Um, so I try to lead by example um, and do the same things that I encourage my clients to do. So for me, that involves being very intentional with how I start my day. So my day typically looks like me starting with some very deep belly breaths, um, which is called the 478 technique. I teach all of my clients that. Um, and so that's basically breathing in for four, holding for seven, and exhaling for eight. Um, and in doing so, I then set my intention for the day. Um, so I typically ask myself, what is it that I need today? So if it's okay, I have a lot to do today. So my intention might be, I'm going to be kind to myself. And if there are things I don't get done, that's okay. And that's how I start the day. Um, and so really being grounded in the moment, keeping myself together. Um, exercise is a daily thing. Thank goodness I bought a bike, a cycle, indoor cycling bike right before um, the pandemic really hit. So that has been incredibly helpful. Um, so getting that 30 or so minutes of just, focused on the bike is super helpful. Um, I also am a sager. So I sage and smudge my house, um, clearing the energies. I use that in between sessions, um, turning on healing frequencies and just like dance it out, smudge it out um, in the house. Uh, and then ending my night, usually trying to disconnect and setting those boundaries, keeping those boundaries around social media. And so using the nighttime to read um, and then to journal about the experiences that I had during the day. I like that. Oh, man, that sounds so divine. Starting off right, the breath, journaling at night. Love it. It's been a process. It has been a process. I'm sure. <laughs> Do you have any, any final words you'd like to tell the listeners? Thank you all for sticking through and listening. Um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope that we can continue to have these conversations around race, racial injustice, what that looks like, how it's showing up so that we can come to a place of healing. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. I am rooting for you as always. I'm sending you many blessings. Until next time. As always, Spiritual Trailblazer, thank you for tuning in. Do make sure to stop by and visit me at tiamariejohnson.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe. Last but not least, be kind to yourself. I'm rooting for you, and I'm sending you so many blessings. Until next time. Thank you.